Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter to the Galatians. It is in this scripture we're reminded that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The truth of the gospel, that Jesus is better, should change our thinking and approach to absolutely everything. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people perfect in him. We're actually going back six years this Sunday. That is purely coincidence. It was not intentional, but it just happened to be the same. Uh, it was August 21st, not August 20th. We had just started in Genesis, and uh, a message that I thought would be a good tie-in to some of the things we've been looking at here in Galatians over the past few weeks. So there you go. If you were here six years ago, you might hear some things you've heard before if you weren't. This is new to you, so let's go with it. All right, we're going to read the entire story of creation. So Genesis 1-1 to chapter 2, verse 3, that's the entire story of creation. Follow along in your Bible as I read, and then we'll pray together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the 
birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we do thank you for your word and for your goodness and grace to us that we see not just in creation but in life and the circumstances of life and how you order things. We know and trust that your hand is always at work in anything and everything that happens. And I pray this morning your hand will be at work here in this room as we study your word, as we go over some things that we've seen before and we remember how it is that you work in this world, how you work in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we do so that we will not be impatient either with you or with ourselves or with maybe sometimes the lack of progress we see in our lives, but recognize that you are at work in all things, that you have a plan and a purpose that you will see through to the end. And it's in that hope we trust this morning. We ask your blessing on our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, back when we were working through Genesis, I really wrestled with how to best preach through the individual days of creation. I knew from the outset that what I did not want to do at that time was to try to preach them like individually, like we do a whole sermon on day one and God making light. I wasn't quite sure what I would say about that or how in the world I would apply that to us, go by light bulbs. I'm not really sure what I would have done with that. So uh, in the end, I just kept coming back to the question, you know, what is the theology of creation? What is it that as we look at this story that we just read together, you know, that we can learn about God or about his plans for this world from this story? Why did God do the things that he did in the way that he did them? Why did Moses write them and record them for us in the way that he wrote and recorded them? And so I tried to begin uh, to dig beneath just the what's and the how's of creation, which quite frankly, and not no negative comment here, is where most Christians stop when they think about creation. They only ask the what and the hows. That's all they seem to focus on, and that's fine. There's a place for that. But I wanted to get beneath that and try to ask some of the why questions. When I did that, I began noticing certain trends and themes and clues in the story that seem to go a little bit deeper and I think are there on purpose to teach us things about God and about how he works. And I'll remind us of one of those truths this morning by asking us a question that is rarely, rarely asked whenever Christians talk about the issue of creation. And I'll set it up for you like this. Um, Any person in this room who is from a theologically conservative, Bible-believing kind of church family or background 
likely grew up where the only real opposition to believing in the six literal days of creation that we see described here in Genesis, which I would believe in, uh, the only opposition to that is the theory of evolution, right? It's it. It's, it's billions of years of slow development over time versus the six days of creation here in Genesis. And so because of the time and circumstances in which we've lived, a commitment to believing that everything we see around us came to be in six literal days has become a badge of faithfulness and fidelity amongst most Christians. They would hold that up and say, this is what I believe. I don't care what the world thinks. This is where I stand. And that's good. And so we're willing to state with pride, no doubt, that we believe in the six literal days. God can create the world in just six days. He doesn't need billions of years. He's all-powerful. Six days is fine. Yet we never once stop and ask this question right here, and this is the one I thought would reveal our problem for us. Why did it take six days? We're so focused on trying like, to deny the other end of the question, well, it didn't take billions of years, God could do it in just six days, that we never stop to say, well, why did it take six days in the first place? If God is not all-powerful, could he have not done it in six hours or six minutes, six seconds, maybe one second? Why, Why did it take six whole days to create the world? And I'll give you what I think are the only two possible answers to that question. Either he did it because he had to, it's an ability issue, like that's as fast as he could have gone, uh, or B, he did it because he wanted to. There's a purpose in it of some sort that's, that's built into the very way the world is created. It has to be one of these two things, I think. Either he's constrained to do it that way or he simply chooses to do it this way. And without taking much time to defend this, I'll say it has nothing to do with his ability. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He can do anything. He, he could have created the world instantaneously if he had wanted to. So I don't think that's the problem. Ability is not the issue. Therefore, it must be something related to purpose. There has to be a purpose in the way even that he went about creating the world. And, and this is what I focused on as we began our study of Genesis. The very first theological truth that we looked at that I think teaches us not just about God, but about how he works in this world from this story in particular is that our God tends to be a God who works through process and progress. He works through process in progress. And you see both of these ideas in numerous ways throughout the story that we just read together. And what I mean by this before I look into it is that although God is powerful enough to have been able to do things instantly, you see a process of creation unfold and you see him work by means of progress in each progressive day of creation. And I think you can see this in three particular ways here in the story. First, you see process and progress in the way that Moses structured the story. Process and progress in the way that Moses structured the story. And, you know, it doesn't take a knowledge of biblical Hebrew to be able to look at this, and I hope you still have your Bibles open, by the way, to be able to look at the text in front of you and notice that the days of creation follow a formulaic pattern of sorts. Uh, day seven is, of course, going to be a little bit different than the other six days because nothing's going to be created that day. But as you look at the first six days, there are certain repetitive things to, that stand out. In fact, there's four things that occur each and every day of creation. Number one, for example, notice how each day begins with, and God said. 
So each day begins with God speaking in some way, shape, or form, whether it's that phrase or another phrase. It always begins with God speaking. Notice how each of these statements are similar, number two. It's let something happen, let something be, let something come into creation, whatever the case. Number three, you notice that whatever God says is always completed. So he says, let there be light. Guess what happens? There's light, so it, so it occurs. Number four, and then finally, you notice that each day ends the same way as well, right? It's evening and morning day number, whatever it may be. So each of these four elements appear in all six of the days of creation. Outside of that, there are other repetitive elements uh, that go throughout the story, but none of them occur in each and every day of creation. For example, uh, you see God declare that what he's made is good on several of the days. You see him dividing and separating things multiple times. You see him naming things. He doesn't name everything he makes, but there's several things that he makes along the way that he calls something, this is earth, this is man, this is whatever. Uh, Number four, you see him blessing things, giving instructions on several of the days. Clearly, by use of the repetition, you can see that there's some structure that's been built into the story as Moses has put it together for us. There's clearly a process at work in how Moses has structured everything for us. Yet, if you are looking at your text, something else should also be standing out to you. While there is clearly repetitive elements throughout the days of creation, they are not in some kind of a symmetrical pattern, right? You see that in the text. I mean, just as an example, if if it was in a perfectly symmetrical pattern, then verses 3 through 8 would read something like this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was evening and morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And there was an expanse in the midst of the waters. And there was evening and morning the second day. If if it was perfectly symmetrical, it would look or sound something like that. But that's not what's in front of you. Is that correct? Already here in the text, you see that, that Moses changes the pattern, progressively adding more and more complexity to the story in each subsequent day. So look at day one. And what do you have? You start, as always, with God's speech, right? He's going to speak. And in this particular speech, it's let there be light. It's very short, right? It's the shortest of all the speeches in the entire creation week. Uh, Next, you see that what God said has happened. There is light. God declares that that what he's done is good. He separates things. He names things, and the day is done. That's day one, short, sweet, to the point. Now look at day two. Day two is a little more complex. Again, it starts with God's speech, but this time his speech is longer, and it's more complex. He doesn't just say, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. He also tells you why. He wants there to be an expanse in the midst of the waters. It's to separate waters from waters. Next, he makes what he just said. That's a little different than day one because it's a little more involved. It's as if he gets in there and does it himself. That's how Moses presents it. Then Moses affirms that the thing happened. It's so. God names what he's made. Now the day is done. So day two is a little different, right? It's a little more complex, a little more involved than day one was. Look at day three. This time... God isn't going to just speak one time. He's going to speak two times. That's the first time that's happened. He's going to do two separate things, two creative acts. He starts by saying, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And Moses says it happens. God names what he made. uh, And then he declares that what he's made is good. Now God speaks a second time. He says, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees, da-da-da-da-da. Moses affirms that that happened Then Moses repeats that what he said happened actually happened. Then God declares what he's made is good, and now that day comes to an end. Much more complex, 
different than either day one or day two. In day four, verse 14, he speaks. This is a very long speech for the week. Uh, what he says comes to pass. Moses explains how it comes to pass. God makes what he said, tells what their purpose is. He puts them in their arenas to rule over the arenas of light and darkness. Uh, God declares that it's good. That day is done. Day five, more activity. God now fills the arenas of the heavens and the waters with life. He wants to bring life into this world, so he speaks. He makes what he says. He declares it's good. But now notice something new in the story. In verse 22, God blesses now. He blesses what he's made and he commands, he speaks to what he's made saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He, he could have just filled the earth to start with, right? He could have just had oceans full of living things and skies full of birds, but he doesn't. He expects that they will continue that process. Now that day is done. Finally, we get to day six. Just like on day three, there's two creative acts. Two times God speaks. First, he, he creates the, the land creatures of all sorts. What he says happens. Moses describes what God did. God declares it is good. God now speaks again. This is the creation of man. But this time, God doesn't speak to creation. He speaks to himself, verse 26. You know, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over this creation we have made. And so God makes what he says. He blesses man, uh, speaks to him, commands him to be fruitful and multiply again. He doesn't just create millions of people. It's just two. He wants them to fill the earth. He tells them to subdue everything, have dominion over it, which I clearly don't do a good job based on my dog. Uh, whatever. He speaks to man again, informing him of his provision for food, talks about food for the animals. All these things are so. God looks at everything he's made. Behold, it is very good. Finally, the day is done. <laughs> that was a lot, right? It's the whole week of creation in like five minutes. Um, what, what, are, what are you noticing as you go through the, the pattern? And that's what you have to like stop and do, to like think about it from a, a more of a pattern perspective and try to understand how Moses is writing this. You see that God is working in process and progress through these days. It's not the same thing each time. It's, it's a little more and a little different and a little bigger and a little, and it keeps building up to almost like a crescendo of sorts. You know, each day more and more complex and, and it's building, you know, towards what you ask? Well, towards day seven. That's what it's building to. All these events are leading you and I as readers to something that Moses finds as being incredibly significant. God could have begun with day seven. He could have opened the story with rest. He chooses not to. He chooses to put that at the end and to build his story up to that conclusion of rest on the seventh day. And I think that's very significant for the reason why we'll have to require another emergency in another sermon like this. So uh, my point here is simply to show you that, that you can see process and progress in the very way that Moses has, has crafted the story for us. He wants you and I as readers to look at this and go, something's going on. There's something Something unique about all that, that's being done here, and it's, it's kind of leading us to a point, all right? Second, you see process and progress in how God alters the original state of creation. Now, the original state of creation is listed for you in verse 2. I want you to look at verse 2 right now. Notice the wording. It is without form, it is void, and there is darkness over the face of the deep. Now, I did this six years ago. Humor me one more time. 
I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine the world that you see described for you in verse two. Do it right now. Close your eyes, picture it. Can you see the world? Formless, void, darkness on the face of the deep. All right, open your eyes. If you saw anything at all, you do not understand verse two, right? If you saw anything, if you have a picture of anything at all in your mind, you've already messed up because it's dark. There is no light. Light itself as an idea, as, a, as an entity, isn't even created until the very next verse, verse 3. It's, this is some kind of a bleak thing that I can't even imagine. Again, I bet most of you, as you pictured it, pictured some like watery, watery nebulous thing floating out in space. Don't nod your head if you did. Just I'll say you didn't. Okay, we're good with that. Um, I would remind you that space, what we think of as space, isn't, isn't even created until verse 6. Moses calls it the heavens, the expanse. Um, I, I point this out to you just so you can understand. We don't understand verse 2, okay? I can't picture what verse 2 is. All I, can, all I can get out of verse 2 is that whatever this thing is before God comes and speaks into it, it is, it is lifeless, it is utterly uninhabitable. This is not a place where, where God can bring life. And so if God is going to bring abundant life into being, he's going to have to change the earth into something habitable. And guess how he does it? Through process and progress. First, on day one, what does he overcome? The darkness. He overcomes the darkness by, by speaking light into existence. He makes light and he separates it from the darkness. So that's the first big obstacle. Next on day two, he overcomes the water. He makes an expanse in the midst of the water, separates him. He creates a space for life to, to exist and for it to flourish. That obstacle is done. Finally, on day three, he overcomes the uninhabitable nature of the earth. He causes dry land to appear. Uh, he fills that land with vegetation. Now God has finally made a home for life to come and, and take and thrive. He's provided for its sustenance, its care. And so by the end of, of day three, the whole world that we read about in verse two, whatever that was, it's gone. He's overcome everything that was against life just through the working of, of process and progress within creation to overcome that original state. That's an easy one. Third, finally, you see process and progress and how God brings about life or brings life into the world, okay? So he's created a space. So how does he actually fill it with life? Well, he starts with plants. I mean, certainly they're alive. We get that. But their life is not like the life of a man or an animal. He doesn't bless the plants. He doesn't command the plants to do anything. They are there for the sustenance of the rest of the life he creates. Next, he, he makes animals. Uh, birds, water creatures in day five, land animals on day six. Uh, to these things, God speaks directly, blessing and commanding them. He gives them a mandate to, to multiply, to replenish. And again, I, I just point that out for you to think about. Have you ever stopped and just thought about just that component alone? Why didn't he just fill the earth? Why didn't he just fill it to start with? He could have, but he, does, he chooses not. Even in the filling of the earth, he wants to see process and progress unfold. And then the pinnacle of his creation on life is mankind. You know, he, he makes man like he makes the animals and the plants. He blesses and commands man like he blesses and commands the animals. But what is unique about man, two things, is one, man is made in the image of God. 
Unlike any of the other life created on earth, this is the only life that is made in this way. Man is unique like this. And second, it is mankind alone that is given dominion over all the other life on earth. He's, he's supposed to subdue the, the earth itself, have dominion over all the other creatures as placed under his control. So again, do you see the progression I'm talking about? Step by step, it continues to build and unfold in this way as God is filling the world with life so that here you get to the end of day six, you not only have a habitable world that can sustain life, but you have the beginnings of a, of a world that's going to be filled with abundant life spread out all around it. God works through process and progress in all of these things. Now, how does this affect our theology um, not just of creation, but our theology in general. How does this change the way that, that we view God and about his plan for this world? Well, right off the bat, let's just affirm what we have observed this morning, that God uh, chose to work through process and progress in creation. These are not accidental things. You, you can't read Genesis 1 and 2 and walk away and go, you know, God must have just been like flying by the seat of his pants in this. Or it's the best he could have done, so, you know, I'm glad he did what he did. I hope, you know, glad it worked out for us. No, as you read that story, you're forced to understand that there's, there's some purpose behind this. It's not because of some lack of ability. It's not willy-nilly. This represents a specific choice by God to create this world in this specific way, and it represents a choice by Moses to record it in this specific way, as if God wants to, us to see him acting in this manner as if he thinks that there may be some significance to it for us to understand. And I don't really think that significance is all that hard to see because as I stop and reflect on how God works in all kinds of areas, you know what I see? I see God working through process and progress. Over and over and over again in life, you see it. I'll give you a couple of examples just as illustrations. First, let's talk about God's revelation of himself for a moment. And what I mean by this is how... How has God chosen to make himself known to man? You know, he could have done that all at once, right? Just, here's everything there, you know, I'm going to write it in the stars. The stars themselves will write out a story to tell you everything there is to know about me. But you, you don't see that. Uh, we normally, in discussing this question, use a, a theological phrase. It's called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation simply means that God has, over time, progressively revealed more and more about himself to man for us to know. And so you look here in the story, you continue in the story of the Bible, what do you see? You see him speaking to Adam and Eve. What he said to them, we don't know. What he revealed about himself, we don't know. We know he spoke to Cain. We know he spoke to Noah. Uh, he probably spoke to others, but we don't know. Eventually, he reveals himself to Abraham, and to Abraham, he enters into a special covenant that's new and different than what we've seen before. He promises to be Abraham's God, to bless him, use him. We've seen those things in Galatians. Uh, he reveals more of himself to Moses and to the children of Israel through what we call the law, something else we've been seeing a lot of in Galatians. He, he eventually inspires writings to preserve those revealed truths for his people. Prophets come, he gives more revelation. Finally, he sends his own son. And I hope you remember the words of John 1.18, that it is Jesus who has revealed the Father to us. If you want to understand who the Father really is, you want to understand God, where do you look? You look to Jesus. Because it's Jesus who serves or acts as the ultimate revelation of God to man on earth. He is the pinnacle of God's progressive revelation. But may I point something out? All of that revelation, the process and progress we see there, 
it's not fully done, is it? Because we're still waiting on a full and final revelation, right? Where we see Jesus face to face, either through death or his return. This other revelation is coming. Where we're going to finally know God and that will be life eternal, Jesus said in John 17. So the finality of God's revelation of himself is experienced, of course, only by those who place their faith in Christ, who spend eternity with him. I, I don't know about you, but there's process and progress all over that. I, the whole way I think about that just shows, again, the same thing we see in creation. Here's another example. Um, I see process and progress in how God is working in my own life and, and in yours as well. And this is, is the tie-in and why I wanted to come back to this from our time studying Galatians and the idea of freedom because as we've gone, gone through that, I've alluded no, numerous times now to the fact that, you know, you're free. This is who you are. You are free. But I've also recognized that for many of us, we don't, we don't feel free. We, 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 don't, we don't feel like we're really free. We don't live in that freedom. And so, you, you know, you end up with these questions like, God, you know, if I'm really yours, if I'm really free, then why do I just continually struggle with sin? And God could just take it away, right? He could just, boom, zap. It's gone. And yet, despite his ability to do that, he chooses not to do that. So why, God? Why, why can't you just make it go away? Why does it have to be a battle? Well, I can't pretend to answer that question fully for you, but I can answer it at least in part. And that is because God works through process and progress, even in the issue of sanctification. This is how the New Testament describes the process of sanctification, the process of us becoming like Jesus. Paul, 2 Corinthians 3, the passage we were in just a couple of weeks ago, remember, as he's describing and, and looking at the Old Covenant and the New and what this means for us now. In uh, chapter, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. You notice this, the specific wording there? We're being transformed. Not we're instantly transformed. It's a, it's a process. We are being transformed uh, from this, uh, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's, it's a process. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says to the Colossians, hey, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Wow, did you hear a lot of Genesis kind of language in there? Being renewed after the image of its creator. He's referencing back into the Genesis story. as like, hey, you've seen this before. This isn't the first time this idea has come across your, your mind. It's, it was built into the very story of creation. It's a process. You are being renewed over time. But what I want to encourage your hearts with is this. What we see in Genesis is that when God begins a process, he brings it to its completion. Those six days were leading to something. They were, they were a crescendo to get us to day seven, to that day of rest that God had in store for mankind. It's leading to that uh, perfect, good, complete end. And so what do you see in Philippians 1, the same verse Chris read for us earlier? I'll start in verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God 
in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's certain. It's certain, Paul says. You know, he may work through process and progress. And I'll be honest, we may not always like that. There may be moments where you wish it was a whole lot faster. You wish it was just done. But I, I can't explain why he chooses to work this way. I can just tell you he does. But here's the, here's the thing you hold on to. It will be done. He will bring it to completion. That seventh day will finally come and all will be finished. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, if God has begun that good work in you, take heart. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how much you're struggling. If you are his child, he will bring it to completion. He will. Process, progress, not always fun, maybe not always what I want, but I will see its completion when I see Jesus face to face, if nothing else. At the day of Jesus Christ, you will no longer fight sin. You will finally, finally, fully see the freedom that you have from Christ. And until then, we have to recognize that God just works this way. Again, I can't tell you why. I can just tell you that he does, and he is working in our lives this way to change us and make us more like Jesus. It's funny. You know, we, we see this truth all around us, right? If you go out, I don't know if you did that this summer, if you planted a tomato plant in your backyard, you didn't like put the seed in the ground and walk out the next day and like, where's the tomato? If a woman conceives a child, she doesn't get pregnant. And then the next day, like, where's the baby? Like, we get that in almost every other sphere of life, there's a process and a progress that will happen. And yet, how many of us have ended up accusing God? God, you, you saved us. Why didn't you just fix me all at once now? It's like we're, we're like in the microwave generation. Like, you got to have it instantly. And I, I, look, I get that. I understand it. We're an impatient people. We want magic pills for everything. We don't want to wait. We don't want to persevere but this is how God works. He is faithful enough and he is powerful enough for us to trust him in that process. And so I urge you and encourage you to trust him in that process today. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this truth that I may not understand why. I might not be able to, to explain your purposes and your plans and the way you see things. But I recognize that there is truth even in the creation story that it's, it's revealing something about you, who you are and how you work. And I see that truth confirmed over and over and over again in so many areas of life and of this world. And I see it in my own heart. You are working through process and progress. And sometimes that process is very fun and easy and it brings a lot of joy. And sometimes it's a lot of pain and it seems very slow and maybe it doesn't seem like it's moving at all. And there's progress. You know, six years since I preached this sermon, what has changed in our lives in six years? How have you worked? Do we even stop and think about these things? I don't. But Lord, we know this is who you are. We know that you've made promises to us that you are transforming us right now. You are changing us right now and you will bring us to the completed end when we see Jesus face to face. And so I pray, Lord, that you will give us the faith to persevere, to push through, to push on, to cling to you, to take in those moments where we don't feel the progress as our indication that we need to hold even tighter to you 
But even when we do feel it, Lord, that we never let go of our, our focus on you, knowing that you are the only one who brings us life. And so, Lord, as we're about to sing in a moment, hold us fast. Hold us fast. Help us to persevere, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more sermons on the book of Galatians and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.